you know, there are strategies we can for sure put in place that can help individuals not only feel safer, feel like they can be more themselves, but also just be able to interact and cope in a world around them and thrive. Hello, you're very welcome to the Parentline podcast. I'm your host, Kerry McLean. I'm a broadcaster, a Parentline ambassador, and I'm a mum of three. And this is the podcast where we talk all things parenting, both the joys and the challenges along the way, wherever you are on your parenting journey. we all know that it's not a case of one size fits all whenever it comes to raising our kids. They're all individual jigsaw pieces that kind of fit into the world in their own way. And as parents, all we really want, I guess, is to help and support them in a way that makes them feel comfortable and happy in that distinct space. But if your child has autism, it can make that goal all the trickier. I'm delighted to say that Rebecca McCulloch is my guest for today, founder of Eden Consultancy, which focuses on equipping those who are working with or raising children with neurodiversity or social emotional behavioural challenges. Rebecca works with pupils and schools across Northern Ireland as a behaviour and autism specialist, developing and delivering training and advice to hundreds of parents. Rebecca, it's so nice to have you with me today. Thank you so very much. It's great to be here. Well, listen, can we start at the very beginning here? Because I think Mm. we all have a little bit of knowledge about autism. You know, we've seen things in dramas, we've read things, but I think it can mean such different things to different Mm -hmm. people, depending on our experiences, can't it? A hundred percent. I think that's a a really important place to start. And actually a really interesting thing you say is like based on experiences. So, you know, what you have experienced is often what then you base your knowledge around. Um, So, yeah, it's it's very common that if you're to talk about autism, someone will have a response of what they've experienced or what they think autism is. And again, this can be, I guess, at times quite detrimental and a tricky um, moment for parents as well um, when chatting to others about maybe um, a child that they're raising or in care for of uh, who is on the spectrum because people have different opinions about what it is and a lot of misconceptions about what autism actually is. And what are those general misconceptions then? Yeah, so I think you actually mentioned one there pretty early on, which was, you know, what they've seen in the media. So, for example, even with myself, so I originally was a special needs teacher for a long period of time, working with children and teaching children on the autistic spectrum, which was an absolute joy. But the amount of misconception responses I got based on what you just said of like my experience in media. So it'd be like, oh, my goodness, are they all just like mini Sheldon Coopers? And you're like, ah. Or Rain Man, you know, like for my generation, uh, it was Rain Man. Everybody thought that was what autism was. Absolutely. So the media portrays a really specific version, I guess, of an individual on the autistic spectrum. And that's the biggest difficulty, I guess, and challenge sometimes in and around autism is that it's a spectrum condition, meaning that like there's a classic saying of when you've met one child with autism you've met one child with autism like that's it full stop you don't understand it yet you know so that whole idea of this massive spectrum and and we talk about um within our training of how it's changed from this like linear understanding so like one side of the line you have less autistic other side of the line you have more autistic and it it doesn't work when we think about it like that, because just like you said, it, based on experience is your understanding of what more inverted commas or less inverted commas autistic is. So we talk about it in like a color wheel. So there's little 
dots or shading in different areas of those characteristics like sensory processing or executive functioning difficulties and social interactions. And, and that helps us understand a little bit more that every individual is an individual and not many Sheldon Coopers. And that's a huge part of it is that a responsive oh so children on the spectrum are all extremely gifted and that's actually super super rare that extreme like rain man um gifting you know and I would get a lot of comments like that like oh are your kids just all amazing at maths and there'd be times that actually like even as a teacher it would nearly feel my heart nearly sank and like broke for my kids because I was like no they really struggle like you know I was teaching number bonds for the 17th time you know and that I think even as a teacher is an interesting emotion to experience and how much more as a parent when someone says to you oh seriously is your kid like phenomenal at this and you have to be like um no not quite you know it's nearly this real like sinking moment rather than celebrating them for who they actually are so yeah big misconception in and around that like gifting side and that's a lot to do with I think how the media presents and I think that misconception about the spectrum and you know what that actually looks like and um, the classic thing I, I also get is, um, and I'm sure parents, you can relate to this, if you know you share that your child is on the spectrum and someone says, oh, sure, we're all a bit autistic or we're all a bit on the spectrum. Classic response. And actually, like I would I, I really would love to use this moment to say, like, we need to stop doing that because yeah. it's not actually true. Like we're not all on the spectrum. We can for sure all have characteristics that kind of look like. So, for example, I love a bit of scheduling, love a bit of routine. I love being organized. Yeah. Could you come and start my house out, please? Well, you know what? I might because I enjoy it. (laughs) Maybe not house stuff, to be fair. But it is, it's that thing of, that's a characteristic, right? It's a common characteristic with autism of that need for routine and structure. I am not on the spectrum. I am not autistic. And me saying that, or us as neurotypical individuals saying to an individual with autism or to a parent raising an individual with autism, sure, we're all a bit on the spectrum. It kind of devalues that in that moment of like taking away from like, I guess, an individual by kind of generalizing and saying, sure. And and people mean it with the best intentions. I know they do, but I think it would just be a really great thing that we started to realize that actually we're not all on the spectrum. And sometimes when we say that, it can be quite, I think it can be really hurtful in those moments rather than saying, okay, this is, this is what this is. So those are some of the big ones, I guess, coming across of expecting that everyone's the same. So that whole like an individual's an individual, as you said, at the very start and that portrayed by the media and then that whole like everyone's on the spectrum um characteristic too I think whenever parents get a diagnosis of autism they have a lot of those misconceptions that are already floating around inside their Mm -hmm. heads but Mm -hmm. possibly even more so whenever they get a diagnosis and it's a daughter a girl in the family who is who has got that diagnosis Yeah, it's, oh gosh, it's a fascinating subject, girls and autism and one which I am just so passionate about. And honestly, like the more I understand and learn about it, I am just like fiercely determined, I think is a good way to put it, to change this for girls. And I was speaking at a conference recently about this and I was just like, wow, this is another area where just girls are just being missed out and lost on. And, you know, I did a a kind of like, a starter in that and we said imagine so I'm talking about autism I started describing it and I said 
Okay, as I've spoken, most likely you will have imagined something in your head or someone in your head of how autism looks. And I had these kind of sketches and I'd say on screen, I'd say maybe a little bit like this. And it was a boy who was like pouring like things into like a bowl in science or, you know, somebody jumping up and down on a space hopper, you know, so that sensory side of things. And it was again, it was another boy or a boy lining up cars. Like, again, it's all about what your experience of autism is of what that looks like. And I said, it would be really rare unless you've had experience that when I described that you would have imagined a girl and it was like this like complete hush across the room you know and everyone was like wow and and it is it's something that's really missed out on because girls present totally differently like so so differently I'll work with so many parents who'll maybe have like you know, four kids and two of their older boys are, um, have a diagnosis of autism. And then it comes to the youngest girl and they're like something, we're just really struggling. Like what's going on? And, and I was like, I wonder if, and we have that conversation. They're like, no, but it doesn't look anything like it did for the other boys. And you're like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like that is girls and autism, which is so hard because all of the stereotypes that then we have, and even actually the diagnostic model, it's all based on boys like early research of autism was all done in boys majority of those big papers and understandings and the diagnostic model was written around how boys present with autism so girls can literally go into a diagnostic session and come out with full marks of absolutely not being autistic Gosh. because they have learned so there's this thing called masking so girls mask they mask those i guess different traits of like sensory processing and things you'd expect to maybe see within autism and they uh, they mask a lot of that so they're so clever in the sense that they watch and like absorb what's going on around them so like learn what society expects from them um and and performs and it's exhausting like masking is really exhausting oh you can like, imagine really that detrimental. absolutely yeah. you know yeah. constantly pretending and then that's what we talk about in my training I talk about the four o'clock explosion because often what you see and this is what I talk with with parents is schools not seeing any of the stuff that parents then see at home so girls mask all day long you know from nine till three get home around four o'clock and whoosh it all goes up you know the minute they step through the door they're seeing a lot of distressing behavior um and then when maybe they go to the school and they say i wonder and they're like oh no we don't see any of that in school because they don't because of masking and often and this is what i try and encourage people in education to be aware of like if a parent comes and says that to you listen and wonder because that's a huge telltale sign of that kind of masking so they're performing and coping and obviously that can lead to a lot of mental health difficulties yeah. it's also like it's so fascinating and I could go on about this forever about how you know it's also what society expects from girls and society actually you know especially even within diagnostic measures you know people coming in and you're more likely to diagnose a girl with anxiety than you are with autism and that's so fascinating the way that yeah they present quite similarly but for some reason that's what we expect with girls and we expect some of that like we're like oh they're just a bit shy or or they're very this you know it's one or the other so yeah girls and autism I think it's a huge misconception of if you chat about and especially as you said for parents out there I think when they talk about having a daughter people often will be like oh really mm -hmm. I didn't know girls could get autism like that is genuinely a response all the time that I hear um so yeah 
a big misconception. Because we were talking earlier about, you know, representation of people with autism in dramas mm-hmm. or, you know, on TV. Yeah. You generally see, I can't think of any drama at I all know. with, with a, a girl Girls. who had autism. Mm-hmm. The one thing that stood out for me recently was Patty McGuinness and his wife did yes. a documentary yeah. and their daughter they has did. autism. And that mm-hmm. was it was fantastic to see that that was Uh you know there and it was being discussed and you know to to make people you know to have that awareness risen is is was brilliant they did a really good job at chatting about girls as well and and actually I loved the scene where they're talking with the various professionals and Patty actually says but she doesn't present like the rest of our boys and they're like, yeah, exactly, Patty. Like, the, the, you know, the wife's like, yeah, exa- that's exactly what they're saying. You know, of course not. And and even that discussion they then had as a couple of being like, is our daughter really being who she is or who she thinks we want her to be? Like, it's a hard conversation to have. That's really so, hard. Yeah. That would be really heartbreaking as well to think that your child For sure. felt anxious because they wanted to be what they think you, you want, want them. them to be. I mean, that's 100%. heartbreaking. Yeah, and I think it's getting that support and, and, you know, a big part of what I say and I'll say so much across platforms and, you know, the more that you know, the more you can help. So the more that we raise awareness about girls on the spectrum and, and kind of stamp out that misconception, the more that, you know, we can help and parents can help in that situation too, their own children to feel like themselves and that they're allowed to be whatever that is in that moment. If that is, they need to stim and jump up and down and flap their hands. That's fine. Like, but allowing them to have that without feeling that pressure of like social norms, I guess. So yeah, big misconception. We'll be back in just a minute after this short message from the Parent Line team. Parentline NI is a free confidential service offering advice, support and guidance on any parenting matter. If you would like some support with any of the issues raised in today's podcast or any other parenting issue, please call the Parentline team today on free phone 0808 8020 400 or check out our Facebook page for more information. Now, on with the show. We talked briefly there about anxiety and that must be mm. a large part of a diagnosis for both parents and children as well. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. Um, I actually ended up writing my master's thesis on autism and anxiety because it just became something that was so prevalent. And I was like, hold on a wee second. What's going on? Like what is happening here within this? So it's really interesting when you start to unpick that it's, we talk about, and you might hear, um, I think it's really good to equip parents in language that they might hear in sessions and, um, different like doctor's appointments. So you might hear words like comorbidity, which sounds really threatening, but actually it just means coming alongside. So a diagnosis that comes beside something else. So for example, autism, anxiety, aren't the same thing. So you would say there's a comorbid diagnosis of anxiety and autism or a comorbid diagnosis of ADHD and autism. Things that aren't the same, but they come alongside. Um, And anxiety is one of the biggest ones. And it's for a number of reasons. Um, If you think about the key characteristics of autism, of sensory processing, social and communication, interaction difficulties, repetitive behaviours and that need for routine, it's an extreme, it can be extremely anxious for these 
individuals to process the world around them in a world which is getting better at communicating and interacting with these individuals but isn't great at times and we often are forcing children to adapt to us rather than us adapt to them and I'm so passionate about that I actually had a young man recently with autism talk to me and he said Rebecca how can I get better at social interaction and I was like that's a really good question And, and I started talking to him and I went you know what though I actually think it's more how can we as neurotypical individuals get better at communicating and interacting with individuals on the spectrum? Because I think we are so forcing and like, you know, understand us rather than us understand individuals with neurodiversity. I think that's really important. So as you can imagine, trying to live in a world which maybe doesn't quite understand or is kind, you know, that's heightened anxiety. Uh, sensory processing, which we'll, we'll talk about in another session in more detail, is um, a huge part of autism and this heightened sensitivity or you know, dull sensitivity at times can lead to real feelings of anxiety of that, you know, awareness of different things, not being able to process and regulate as easily. Um, Statistics actually sit massively high for autism anxiety. You know, it's in and around nearly 50 percent. It's like high 40s, I think, of individuals with a diagnosis of autism also could fit the full criteria for an anxiety disorder or condition in and of itself. And that's not oh, they feel anxious. It's a, that's, they, they could go in and tick off all those things to get another, di- you know, another diagnosis, yeah. I guess. That's a huge statistic. Um, and there's a really interesting part. I am super passionate about teaching people about their brains. And again, anyone who's come on any of training, they'll be like, oh, here she goes again. But it's so <laughs> important. And it was a huge part of my training of neuroscience and it's an absolute passion of mine. And this was a huge part of my study I did within autism um, and anxiety. What's going on in the brain? Like, why is that happening? So to put it, let's do this, try and do it quite briefly. But um, so our brains, all of us have um, our amygdala, which is like our alarm system in our brain that goes off. We really need it to go off when we aren't safe. It keeps us super safe. Sometimes it goes off when we don't want it to, especially at the minute in our current times. A lot of us have learned clearly our amygdalas have been really heightened and have got really strong at becoming anxious when it doesn't need to be. Um, that's all of us. Uh, but we also, so whenever we feel anxious or stressed, you know, we get that big pump of cortisol around our body and stress hormones, which keep us super safe. But then what happens is you have like a cortisol drop, a secretion. So taking away of cortisol, you often have that adrenaline drop, which you can all probably relate to that feeling of like, oh gosh, that was a lot. You know, you can really feel it leave your body. And there's studies that show that actually for individuals on the spectrum, in essence, anxiety and stress stays in an individuals with autism body longer than neurotypicals. And that's why when when children on the spectrum experience meltdowns and that huge heightened kind of release of anxiety and stress and overload, the kind of inverted come down of that can last a really long time you know, up to like 24 hours. So if you imagine all that cortisol sitting in your body all the time, you know, and not being able to regulate and come back down in that moment. So yeah, it's a fascinating topic. And one again, that I guess just getting an understanding out there is important too, isn't it? That would be such a hard thing for a parent to think about 
you know, mm. if you've got a, a child or a young person with autism and you think, my goodness, we've all been in that kind of scary scenario where you have that, yeah. you know, the fight or flight, that kind of <gasps> moment of yeah, adrenaline. Yeah. And to think of your child in the midst of that for a 24 hour period. How do you then yeah. work with parents to, to yeah. come through that? Yeah, just as you were speaking there, I was like, yeah, no, it absolutely is. But what I always, you know, say to parents, there's, although autism is, it's a lifelong condition, you know, when you have a child with autism, they become an adult with autism. It's neurodevelopmental condition. I mean, it is, it is your brain forming differently. There are things that we can do. You know, there are strategies we can for sure put in place that can help individuals not only feel safer, feel like they can be more themselves, but also just be able to you know, interact and cope in a world around them and thrive. It's a huge part of what we say at Eden at our work is um, to flourish. Like every child has that right to really flourish, not just cope, but flourish, you know, in their environment. So a huge thing, well, for everybody with anxiety, but actually for children on the spectrum specifically is the use of visuals. So for example, visuals can be all sorts of things. Um, they can be from pictures um, of certain items, you know, just like one more pictures of being able to say, this is what we're doing now. So it's time to put on your coat, you know, really helping with that communication. Another part, which we'll talk about, but, um, you know, visual schedules. So a huge part with anxiety is not knowing what's coming next. And for children on the spectrum, often it's a, I expect this in my head to look like this. And when it doesn't, it's when the meltdown occurs right. because this isn't what I thought this was going to be. Whereas if you use visuals and language we use a lot and a lot of a lot of professionals use um, for helping those on the spectrum is now, next and then. So now we're going to do, next is going to be and then. And it's giving that really clear understanding of what, what I'm expecting you to do right now, but what's coming in the next two steps as well. And that really helps for children and, and young people um, with autism because it helps them with transitions as well, knowing something's coming to an end, but it's not like forever. So in my classroom, we would be inundated with visuals everywhere and we would have like a full day, you know, what we're doing today um, on the board. Sometimes I think we forget how powerful these is. And I remember so clearly um, one of my boys had come in. This was quite far into when I'd had this class. So we'd got into a really good routine. And, and I think at that stage, you forget how powerful that stuff is you've put in place. And I just hadn't got around to doing our timetable of the day and they were coming in and they all came out on transports so kind of like came in like different times um and one of my boys bless him obviously and I didn't even realize this looked at that timetable the first that was the first thing he did and he loved he really liked school but he loved home yeah. like he loved loved home and he came in and I mean dropped to his knees throws his stuff everywhere and screams oh no we're never going home because I hadn't finished oh. the timetable so there wasn't a home symbol on it and I was like whoa these are so powerful in the fact that he's held that really safe in his head of a okay I have to do xyz and then it's home time again you know, or things like then it's going to be lunch or, you know, so if children really struggle with certain things at home, like we would really encourage parents to be using visuals for maybe that tricky morning bit, you know, yeah. waking up to school, stressful time. And then they're like immediately home from school till dinner and then dinner till bed. So like a really good understanding of what I'm expecting you to do and what's coming next. See, immediately I'm thinking, gosh, my heart goes out to the parents because I'm thinking I mm. know how scattergun my mornings are getting oh the gosh, kids yeah. out in the morning, you know, and who's got yeah. lunchboxes? Who needs this? Where's the PK? 
and to mm-hmm, have mm-hmm. to be super organized so that you're mm. not you don't feel like you're causing your child additional stress yeah oh my goodness I I, I yeah, even find I, it hard to, to I feel stressful even thinking about that you know <laughs> I know and I think there's a few things in that so I think a few responses I also have about visuals is like Rebecca I am not that organized mm. and there's two things with that like first of all if you have a child on the spectrum you know this is not gonna be something that although like momentarily trial for you to get that organized long-term rewards like you know being able to get into that structure and routine and once you're in it you're like okay this is actually fine because when parents say to me oh I'm really disorganized I don't really have a routine and you're like well just tell me about your morning let's have a chat and all of a sudden they're like oh actually we do the same thing every single day but I think something you said there Carrie just want to pull out of that whole it's stressful time and what you were showing a really good example of is what as adults we do is a where's your lunchbox where are your shoes oh my gosh is it PE today you know all we bombard kids with questions and a huge part of autism is the language processing and visuals really help individuals on the spectrum process what we are saying and also more importantly it stops us blabbering so rather than saying like where's this where's this oh my gosh and we're actually verbally processing for ourselves we're confusing this child even more rather than saying now it's time for shoes next it's your school bag and then it's the car like we're saying the same thing but extremely clearly and in that way that actually reduces anxiety because what we tend to do and it's not we all do it because we're feeling stressed in that moment so we our anxieties high and then we put whatever into the atmosphere and it heightens everyone else's anxiety and stress in that moment and it's not a pleasurable or enjoyable moment for anybody and especially for parents like the whole reason of what we want to do is yeah we want your child to flourish and thrive and and, and that but we want you as parents to do that too like we want you to feel like you're like oh gosh amazing I remember doing a a big qualification course for parents once on autism and um, we'd been we'd spent like three months together like you know twice a week it was a lot they were an amazing group we were doing like the feedback at the end of like three months, you know, what have you learned? What's been your favorite part? You know, and um, a parent said to me, uh, the whiteboard, Rebecca, you telling me to buy a whiteboard, like an A4 whiteboard. And I, in that moment, like, you know, I've been teaching them like neuroscience and everything you could ever imagine about autism. And it was nearly like when a kid says like lunch is their favorite part of the day. And you're like, <laughs> OK, you know, great. But actually, as she went on to describe it. I was like, I, I got really emotional because it was like an a, just an A4 whiteboard. I, I always say that like when people are like, Rebecca, what's your best resource? I'm like an A4 whiteboard because you draw the visuals onto the whiteboard, like what we're doing. And you can take that anywhere. You don't have to have packs and stacks of visuals with you. All you need is a whiteboard pen and a whiteboard that you can get from a pound. And um, she was saying it's changed our lives because we have one in the car at home at Nanny's house when she goes to school. It's used everywhere and consistently. And all of a sudden she just gets what we're doing and what's happening in that moment. And what I'm asking her to do rather than me saying it, it just helps her process it quicker. And in a way, Carrie, like all our brains work like that. If you go, if you think and, and parents out there, if you think of, you know, when you go to the toilet, you don't look for the word, you look for the symbol on the door. Our, our brains process visuals a lot faster in that moment. And it really, it, it's a massive study with children with autism of how language processing, it helps that. And I think it's a fear around parents. If I reduce my language by using visuals, you know, so I'm not saying all the da-da-da-da-da moments that you were saying, Will that not 
lessen their language ability and actually it's the opposite you know the the less we kind of do all the extra stuff the more they can help learn so visuals help aid language rather than hinder it so yeah huge part for individuals on the spectrum and reducing anxiety for all children and especially children on the spectrum I think about that would be something that would be really good for the general public to know as well, you know, to yeah. to have more oh, of those okay. visuals yeah. and be and to know just that that can help, you know, aid in communication as well. Yeah, absolutely. Like just knowing that, you know, that is that moment of, you know, you've maybe a child in, in your class or, at this, you know, if you're taking your kids to the cinema, you know, something you want to do that then there's a, a visual option like I'm so passionate about getting this and we're working with hospitals across Northern Ireland to try and get this even in hospitals it's, it's scary going to the hospital is scary right and for a lot of kids they're going there a lot especially for children on the spectrum so another part of visuals is like social stories which is visuals and script so it's like giving children a script in their head of what to expect you know, when I go to the hospital, I will then, you know, so giving them a real clear understanding, this is what's coming up and this is what's going to happen through visuals as well. And we're really passionate about getting that understanding across um, Northern Ireland and in various businesses. And how beautiful would that be? Like parents, I'm sure you can agree if you walked in to a GP appointment and that GP was sat there with a now next then for your child of what they were going to do, if they were going to check your heart by doing this, you know, check your breathing. And it was really clearly laid out for children. My um younger brother is a doctor and when he was in training he I got this phone call from him one day and um just asking and he was texting or sorry a message about um oh Beck any chance you could give us a hand here like he's in Scotland and um he was like we've got this this kid and he's, he's um he's on the spectrum and I can't get him to do anything um he's like top tips and I said have you have you shown him what you're doing he was like what and I was like visuals get a bit of paper whatever draw what you're expecting and what you're about to do so he can process that and then let him try it on you first like if you want to he was using the stethoscope and I was like let him feel it like that's freezing you know let him feel it but just that like predictability that visuals give and understanding and how beautiful you're right Carrie like how for parents if you arrived into a setting and they were like oh yeah here this is what we're doing now next and then um, using visuals to help support you and your child. And as a parent, can you imagine like how you're much you, you would just go, oh, yeah. okay, someone understands. Yeah, be lovely. And do you have any other strategies that you, you know, any, I don't want to use the word fast, but do you know what I mean? Ones that are, are quick and easy for parents to adopt with their, with their kids whenever they initially get that diagnosis. Yeah, I think um, another massive side of of autism is is a sensory processing and as I said we, we'll chat about that a little bit more in another session but being aware of your child's sensory needs and adapting to them so are they really hypersensitive so are their senses heightened if you think hyper you think a bit much so everything's so so much so it's like food smells you know sounds so quick and easy ones if your child is you know, hypersensitive, it is the noise cancelling headphones, things like that, that can really help. That's a really quick one. There's lots of other kind of really good sensory items like weighted blankets. They're quite a phase now at the minute, but they really, really work for anxiety as well. But for children on the spectrum, there's a huge part that isn't overly spoken about, which is about that proprioception. So awareness of your body. 
that feeling and awareness of your body. And for children of the spectrum, it can either be heightened. And that means they're super aware of every joint and muscle movement. And they often mistake like a movement of a joint uh, as pain. So it, it feels so painful. They're super aware. Or it's really, really dull to the point that they actually need help feeling their bodies if that makes sense so they need help being aware of where their body is so things like weighted blanket or going to the park and pushing your kid in the swing because it gives you that motion so little simple things like that of understanding where your sense your child's sensory needs lie you know in terms of really simple and and in like and cheap items you know I, I think sometimes we feel like we need to buy the most expensive and the shiniest thing And that's not always the case. You know, some things, yeah, phenomenal, but it doesn't mean that you have to have that to help your child. Because as you said before, autism is not something that you recover from. It's an ongoing, you know, lifelong thing that you, that you, that you deal with, that you're, that you're living with. And I guess Mm -hmm. speaking as a parent, if there were little things like that, that I was thinking, actually, I can see this. I can immediately see this making a difference to my child and to, Mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. our life together. I think it would give you maybe just a, a more firm fitting thinking, yeah, this is okay. We we can we can get here, 100%. we can move, we can get through. Yeah. And I think with that too, Carrie, it's that whole and this is what, you know, you guys at Parentline and I are doing of bringing voices together, you know, in that community and you know, we have really, I have really emotional moments in my work of when I'm working with a group of parents who've never met and we're all in a room and we've been there for a few weeks now doing, and I love this moment that happens. And someone says, oh, well, my child did like X, Y, Z. And someone looks across and says, oh my gosh, my kid does that too. And there's this beautiful moment of connection because raising a child on the spectrum, although beautiful and stunning and I have such a heart for these children of what they bring to our world like genuinely um my life would be very empty without um children on the spectrum but it can be really challenging and it can be really lonely um and that's not a thing that's spoken about a lot about how lonely this can be about how you're the parent having to bring breadsticks because your child's obsessed with like something crunchy or you're worried that when you go to someone's house they're gonna break something when they get upset not because they want to break something but because they have this moment of outburst and and that can be a really lonely time and I think the whole lifelong thing is really important to pick up there for parents you know there's a grace that we need to give parents with this diagnostic because there are there's a moment and we work with parents a lot of talking about like a grieving process when you find out your child's on the spectrum again you know I'm very passionate about how amazing children on the spectrum are but Often a diagnosis, so the average diagnosis of children in the spectrum for boys is seven, girls it's 12, you know, you can see there a difficulty. But, you know, the youngest is in and around 18 months. That's the youngest you can kind of get a diagnosis, diagnosis of autism. But for those 18 months as a parent, you've thought about different things and what that life's going to look like and what your child's going to do. And all of a sudden then when someone comes in and says, oh, actually, this is the script, But I'm really passionate about not, you know, not boxing. Sometimes when we get a diagnosis of autism, we are like, we put a child in this box and then put the lid on it. And we're like, put a big sticker on it. We say autistic. And actually what we do is we keep then that child in that. They can't show us. And and what I've learned is that they always surprise you of what they can do. You know, if we, if we do not limit them and say, because you're autistic, you can X, Y, Z. And actually just letting them. But I think, yeah, that whole 
loneliness is a huge part for parents and I think something really important is is making sure you have people around you going to support there are some amazing support groups in Northern Ireland like loads of them and often created and started by parents who've just been like we need this and I've seen that flourish and I've, I've been really privileged to step into a lot of those and train and see that those friendships and fighting for one another um and and you know having those conversation of oh my partner doesn't understand or actually it's really difficult with my parents so for example like the kids grandparents because that generational difference in understanding and opening those conversations and I think for parents making sure you have that and the other thing which we the essence of what we do at Eden Consultancy is equipping the more that you do know as a parent the more you can help and the more you can understand your child um in that as well you know with that I always kind of give a warning of be careful where you go to listen you know Google's a scary place um, and if you type in autism because it's a spectrum condition all sorts of things can come up so just be mindful in that as well well listen thank you so much for having a chat with me today I really appreciate it no you're going to come back again aren't you and we're going to have a chat yes. in more detail about different aspects yeah we're going to unpick some of those characteristics we're going to talk about what actually they are and some kind of really key points of them and as you said give give a few strategies that will really help moving on with those as well perfect listen thank you so much absolute pleasure to have a chat with you today rebecca mcculloch founder of eden consultancy thank you thank you so much thanks carrie thanks for listening to the parent line podcast if you'd like access to the next episode as soon as it goes live, just click follow wherever you get your podcasts. At Parentline, we love supporting as many parents and carers as possible. So if you've enjoyed this episode, we'd love you to consider sharing it with a friend, colleague or family member. Don't forget, if you would like support or guidance with any parenting issue, we're here for you on 0808 8020 400. Catch you on the next one.